If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Mark. We're going to be Mark again, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Um, we would love for you to open that one up with us. We take the Word of God very seriously um, because God tells us that it's through His Word that our faith will grow. That we will receive faith, that our faith will grow. It's hearing from Him in the Word of God. So go ahead and open that blue one up with you, uh, with us. Um, any, uh, any other germaphobes in here? Any, anyone want to admit they're a germaphobe? We've got one in the back, got one right here. The three of us, okay. Uh, well, we're going to talk today about what makes something dirty, what makes someone dirty, and what makes someone clean. Uh, I know a lot about this lately. I've been changing a lot of diapers. You'll learn a lot about what's dirty and what's clean, so I feel like an expert in this topic. Uh, what's dirty and what's clean. If you're with us last week, if you're with us through the book of Mark, uh, you, re- you will remember that Jesus at this time in his ministry is fantastically popular. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people from all over the country are coming to see Jesus. There's this new teacher, and he's teaching with one who has authority. And you're not going to believe this. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. You're not going to believe this. I was there so I could tell you. He made bread and fish come out of his hands. He fed 20,000 of us from nothing. This guy Jesus is something else. And so that message is going all over the country. It makes its way to Jerusalem. And so who do you think is getting a little scared about this? these rumors that are going around? The religious leaders. They're thinking, okay, okay, this guy's gaining steam, he's gaining popularity. Do you know who, who, who needs to go there and check this guy out to make sure he's from God, or make sure he's not from God, rather? Well, we do. And so the Pharisees and the scribes go and they check this guy, Jesus, out. And the last passage we went through kind of looks like the Pharisees are sneaking around, peeking in the window as Jesus and his disciples are eating. And they said, ah, oh, we got you, we got him. We got him. His disciples do not ceremonially wash their hands before they eat. We got him. And we talked last week about this idea of you must wash yourself in the proper way according to the traditions of the elders, not according to this. You wash your hands in the proper way, and then you can eat your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and God loves you a little bit more. That's what they were saying. We talked about how ridiculous that was last week. The Pharisees and the scribes are saying, Jesus, your disciples are defiling themselves by eating with unclean hands. By eating with unclean hands. You'll remember, maybe you'll remember this, the tradition of the elders had a whole book on how you properly wash your hands before you eat your bologna sandwich. They said, if you do this, You'll be right with God. So they're peeking in the windows and saying, Ha, Jesus, we got you. We got you. You can't be from God. You're not obeying our traditions. You're, they're eating. They're defiling themselves by eating with defiled hands. Therefore, they are defiled before God. And then Jesus, of course, blasts them and says, Hey, you hypocrites. You're, just, you're who Isaiah prophesied about when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Pharisees are worried about defiled hands. Jesus is worried about 
defiled hearts. God wants our heart, not empty actions. And so, our question after that may be, what does make us defiled? And what does make us clean? And so after Jesus has this argument and He blasts the Pharisees, He he goes outside and He calls the crowd to Himself. And then we pick the story up in verse 14. Big number 7, little number 14. We pick the story up. goes like this. And He called the people to Him again and said to them, Hear Me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is then expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. What makes someone dirty? What makes someone clean? What makes someone defiled before God? How does this whole thing work? Let's talk about what it means to be spiritually defiled. Spiritually defiled is using the words dirty and clean in the place of sinful and righteous. Okay? Being spiritually defiled is using the words dirty and clean to correspond to sinful and righteous. It's a, it's a really helpful analogy as we think about our relationship with God. We know what it means to be clean and dirty. We've cleaned diapers. We've worked hard outside. We know what it feels like to be grimy and grungy. We know what that feels like. So God uses these terms to talk about our sinfulness. And in fact, it's this analogy of cleanliness and dirty, of defiled and purity. It's this analogy. It's these words in which God sets up His ceremonial worship system for the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, and for the the Jews, the ancient Jews, God sets up this system to interact with Him. To teach us about sinfulness. About our sinfulness. And about His purity and His holiness. He sets up this system, He says, to interact with God and His people. Ritual washing is a symbol of to teach us and train us on our need for purity. It's to teach us and train us that our sinfulness separates us from God. And yet, in His grace, He will still meet with us. And so God's Word sets up 
in the Old Testament this idea of ceremonial washing. That when we interact with something that we might consider dirty, we go and we wash ourselves before we enter the temple. For instance, if you come in contact with a dead body, I mean, we find that defiling. We think how dirty that is. In the Old Testament, you come in contact with the dirty body before you enter into the temple, before you come before the God who gave you life, you ceremonially wash yourself. We can understand that. Do you see the picture there that that God is training Israel to, to see that death is outside of God, life is inside of God. We see this play out in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? Where a guy looks dead along the side of the road and then the priest comes and he sees the dead body and instead of helping as he should, he's all worried about, well, I don't want to spend time washing myself before I go to temple, so he goes around. You remember that story? And so, spiritual cleanliness is a symbol, but it is also commanded by God. And spiritual defilement is punished by God. While this is a symbol, while ritual cleansing of the Old Testament is symbolic and teaches us, we we shouldn't think that it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. God does care about our spiritual purity. God does care about our spiritual defilement. He says this in Leviticus 11.44. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean. You shall not make yourselves unclean. So it is a symbol, but it is an important symbol. It is to teach us and train us in how clean and pure and holy God is and help us see our own filth, our own dirtiness. And help us see that God still meets with us. Think about training your kids in this system. The idea is they will grow up with a healthy awe of who God is and a healthy understanding of our sinfulness and how we must approach God in the way that He has set out. So, spiritual defilement is taking the words dirty and clean and and substituting them for sin and righteousness. It's this picture to help us understand who we are and who God is. And we also need to understand that the Bible teaches that All of us, all of humanity, we are universally, spiritually defiled. Every single one of us. The argument here between Jesus and the Pharisees is not, hey, there's a section who, who don't have to worry about cleansing. There's a section that don't have to worry about being spiritually defiled. That's not the argument. The argument is, how do we become spiritually clean? So there's an understanding at the bottom of this argument that we are all defiled. Jesus doesn't say, ah, don't worry about it. You're all good. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Because God doesn't say that. Isaiah 64.6 says it this way, we have all become like one who is unclean. 
and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's the G-rated version of that. Polluted garment is the G-rated version. Come ask me after, I'll tell you what the rated R version is. But the idea is we are, all of us, very spiritually filthy. We're all defiled. And it's not just a little bit of dirt. It's not just a little bit of dirt under your fingernails. It's a big deal. Let's not, with our modern, with our modern sensibilities, let's not sanitize Jesus' language here. Here's Jesus' point. You're talking about eating food defiled by hands and then they come into you and it's a big deal. Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got it backwards. Just as we, as food we eat is clean, and then what we expel is unclean. So it is with our sin. And there are other points here, but Jesus' point that He lands on with both feet is using this universal biological process of eating and expelling. He uses that analogy to tell us how dirty and filthy our sin is. Do you see the picture? I don't want to go any further than that. Do you see? You understand the picture? Our sin is filthy. None of us are cute little sinners that just need a little bit of polishing up. We are defiled. We're supposed to feel the grossness of that. Our sin is a big, disgusting deal to the infinitely good and pure God. Habakkuk 1.13 You, God, are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Jesus will tell us in Matthew 13 that it is our spiritual defilement, it's our spiritual uncleanliness that will be what is used to cast us into hell. So then the question, so that's the understanding underneath the argument here. That's what Jesus is saying. Our sin is so filthy, it's disgusting. It is like what we expel after eating. That's, what, that's the depth of it. And so the question then is, in the argument is, what defiles us? Where does this filthiness come from? And the Pharisees, along with all other false religions in the world, teach that I am defiled by my environment. I'm defiled by people, by actions, and by things outside myself. That's what the Pharisees taught. That's what the false religions of the world teach. So I can, I can therefore avoid being dirty if you're filthy and you, I let you stay way over there, then I'm going to be clean and God's going to accept me. And then I'm the 
Pharisees, and so I'm going to take this good, these good symbols that God has given us over on spiritual cleansing. I'm going to take these good symbols, and I'm going to take them up to the 11th degree. And I'm going to require you to wash your hands the right way. The Word of God doesn't say you, you have to do that. But I'm going to do that to make sure you're spiritually clean. I'm going to take those up to 11. I'm going to abuse the ceremonial cleansing so that I can feel clean and good with God and so I can feel better than you. The Pharisees and the scribes emphasized the things I do outwardly are what makes me dirty or clean. Therefore, what happens outside Therefore, what happens outside of me is the greatest barrier to God or the reason God likes me. Are you with me? So, these outward actions make you spiritually defiled. If you eat without washing your hands properly, God doesn't like you as much. If you eat near non-Jews, God doesn't like you as much. If you have a baby, you have to wait a period of time before you enter God. And that's because God doesn't like you as much. If you've touched a non-Jew in the market, you've got to clean yourself because God doesn't like you as much. In fact, not only does outward actions make me spiritually dirty, but they teach that outward actions can make you spiritually clean. You remember this quotation last time? A rabbi in the tradition of the elders, not in this, right? A rabbi comes about and says, whoever has his home in the land of Israel and eats his food with washed hands, you remember this? He may rest assured that he will receive eternal life. Why? Because in this system, if you do the right things outside, God likes you. Modern interpretations of this false teaching about things out there make me dirty. If I do the right things and avoid the wrong, wrong things, I'm good with God. This modern, modern interpretations can sound like this. It's not really my fault that I'm, 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 I'm a sinner. It's not really my fault. It's the house I grew up in. Or it can say, if I take care of my actions, I'll be spiritually clean. As a religious kid that grew up in church, I knew you don't play cards, you don't cuss, you obey your mom, and Jesus will love you. And then you're good to go. Modern interpretation, God is only concerned with my outward actions and sins. So if, I, if I'm a good guy, God will kind of leave me alone. Modern interpretation of the false teaching. The purpose of religion is to fix your behavior. Purpose of religion is to make sure you act right. You send your kids to Bob and Beth in our youth group so that they'll teach them to listen to you more. It's the modern interpretation of this false teaching. Modern interpretation in the church. Jesus came to die for my sins, but... He only really needs to clean me up just a little bit. Isn't he lucky that I'm in his corner? As a preacher's kid, that was my blasphemy that was sending me to hell. Jesus came, this 
false religion. Jesus came to show me how to live. And if I act like Him, that's what makes me right with God. How about this one? People are really good on the inside. We just do bad things. This self-righteousness is the religion of the world. And this self-righteousness is why the Pharisees were peeking in the windows, watching them eat to see if they could catch them breaking their traditions. But what is the truth according to God? The God-man Jesus Christ who walked the earth, second person of the Trinity. All things were created through Him, by Him, and for Him. Jesus says, you're not defiled by your environment. You're defiled by your heart. Jesus teaches the source of my spiritual defilement is not the filth outside of me, it's the filth inside of me. My spiritual defilement is not getting closer to you and you're filthy. My spiritual defilement is not eating the improper way. My spiritual defilement is inside my heart. Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. God's not worried about what you eat. He's worried about what comes out of your mouth. Verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts in this list of sins. So, please understand this point. Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, our relationship with God is not destroyed by your dirty hands. It's destroyed by your dirty heart. Do we understand? And we know what that means, right? It means the same thing 2,000 years ago as it does today. Dirty heart. He doesn't mean like your actual organ. What does he mean? He means your personality, your desires. It means who you are down at the core of who you are. And this is the message of all of Scripture. We can't ignore it. Unless you, don't just, unless you close your Bible and never read it. You can't ignore this truth. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? He continues in Jeremiah, I the Lord search the heart and test the mind. That's what God cares about. All these actions outside of us are not what makes us filthy. What makes us filthy is our dirty hearts. Even the good things that God set out in the Old Testament that says, you are my people, Israel, this is what you will do. Even those things were designed to shape our hearts for God. Circumcision was like the biggest symbol of you being part of God's people. That was like the number one thing that showed you were with God. That's an outward symbol. That's an outward action. That's something you can look at and see. Has nothing. Has very, it's connected to the heart, but very little to do with the heart. You can get that done and not have your heart right with God. And then Romans 2.29 says this about the most important outward symbol that you can be doing. Paul says this, on the contrary, a person who is a Jew who is following God, who is one outwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. 
It's of the heart. So my friends, we are not sinners with hearts of gold that God just needs to clean up a little bit. We're not just sinners who need a bit of refinement. We don't need to just try harder. Our sin is a symptom of the disease that is my filthy, sinful heart being far from God. That's the problem. Jesus tells us that in the last passage when we read it, we read it this morning. This people honors me with their lips. The outwards, the outside stuff looks good. The outside stuff looks great. The outside stuff makes you look like you are a good religious person, but your heart is far from me. The problem is our core is rotten. Our heart is filthy. Ephesians 2.3 We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature. The core of who we are. Children of wrath. Psalm 51.5 Behold, I was brought forth in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Our kids are sinners by nature. I've got three of them at home. If you doubt that, come and spend a few days with me. And you'll see real quick. I don't have to teach my kids to lie. I don't have to teach my kids to bite their sister. I don't have to do that. Why? Because we are by nature sinful people with filthy hearts. Romans 7.18 For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me. Anybody feel this way? For, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. You ever feel that way? In your battle with sin? Boy, nothing good is in me. And I, I know what I want to be doing. I want to do it, but I don't, I don't have the, the gumption. For some reason, I can't do it. Why? Because we are, by nature, sinful so Jesus says, what does my, my filthy heart produce? For from within, gushes out. That's the idea. Again, connect that to the early, right? Let's don't sanitize it. Gushes out these things. Evil thoughts. Designs and attitudes that produce sin. Sexual immorality. Any kind of sexual activity outside of the marriage between a man and a woman is sin. That's what the Bible says. Really clearly. Out of that comes our hearts. Out of our hearts comes that. Coveting. Coveting is judging the worth of a person by what they have and then saying, no, you don't deserve that. I deserve that. That's a pretty filthy thing. Sensuality. Indecency. Open filthiness. I'm going to live my life. This is who I am. I'm going to do it. That's lewdness. That's sensuality. Slander. Let's get into some, some churchy sins, shall we? Some good church people sin. Slander. That is, accusing you of something false to bring down your worth in people's eyes. Foolishness. A person who is knowingly ignorant and makes no moral stands or judgments. It's not about, just, it's not about being dumb. It's about saying, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not interested. 
That, that important thing, the really important thing, I'm going to be willfully ignorant. These are signs of a filthy heart. And what we need to do is we need to be honest with ourselves and we need to say, I see myself in every single one of those, don't we? I never committed adultery. Jesus says you have. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. He says, if you ever lusted after anyone, God looks at you and you are an adulterer. How is that true? That's true because Jesus says it's not about the outward actions that makes you filthy. It's about your heart. You are an adulterer the moment you planned to do the action. You're an adulterer. That's how that works. So what can... We all see ourselves in this. We're all weighed down by the filthiness of our hearts. How can we be saved from this? If I have to be holy to be near God, how can I be saved from this? How can I be clean from this? How can I avoid hell and the wrath of God for my filthy heart? How? How? What can save me? More clean living? More clean living? Just try harder? Listen, if using outward works can fix my disgusting sin that I expel. Let me tell you a story about changing diapers. If that were true, I would say, oh, man, my son filled his diaper. i got to change that thing. Oh, that's disgusting. I'll put a new diaper on him. Woo! Glad that's over with forever. Is that how it works? No, it's going to be filled again in an hour. Why? The problem isn't the outside. The problem is inside that boy. He's got a lot of problems. Thinking that my outward actions can cleanse my filthy heart is me, like me saying changing one diaper and whew, glad that's over with forever. Jesus blasts the Pharisees again. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs that look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you have dead men's bones. No, outside stuff does not save me from my spiritual defilement. Thinking clean living can make up for my filthy heart is like getting pulled over for speeding and saying, oh, officer, I know I did something wrong back there, but hey, I promise I won't speed for the next 35 minutes. Will that make up for it? I'll be really good for the next 35 minutes. Will that work? No. Why? You broke the law. You can't say I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do to make up for breaking the law. In the same way, you can't say, Jesus, I promise I won't commit adultery for the next 48 hours. I promise if you'll forgive me of that one. That's not how it works. He would not be a holy God if that's how it works. And so we get in this position where we say, with Paul, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will save me from the consequences of my filthy heart? Are we just lost forever? I keep sinning. My heart keeps producing sin. 
How in the world can I be saved? I need a new heart. I need a new me. I need to be made new. Where is my salvation? And we call out like the psalmist in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How do we, what's the first step in being spiritually cleaned by God? Understanding we can't do it. That's the message of Scripture. We can't make ourselves clean. We can't do it. And the psalmist knew that. He says, give me a clean heart, God. And in the grace of the Lord, He gives all who call upon His name a new heart. Ezekiel 37 says it this way. How beautiful is this? We can't do it. We are, lo- we are dead men's bones. We are filthy-hearted people who can't earn a thing from God. And Ezekiel says this. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What's he saying? He's saying, God in His grace and His mercy, He knows you can't do it. He knows you can't do it. And so for all of us who understand that Jesus came to die on the cross, take the punishment for our sins, to give us His perfect life, God says everyone who comes to Him, yeah, that wretched, filthy heart is in you, but God is going to remove that heart. He's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going, to give you, he's going to give you a new spirit. He's going to give you, he says, he says, and I will cause you to walk in my laws. Isn't that awesome? Well, we forget that part. My friends, Christians, God gave you a new heart when you came to Jesus to follow me. He gave you a new heart, and guess what? He doesn't say, now that you have a new heart, you better get to work. If you blow it, I'm going to take that heart away. It's not what he says. What does he say? He says, I'm in my grace and my mercy. I know you're still a sinner. So I'm going to be the one to cause you to be obedient. What an awesome thing. What a gracious God. What a gracious God. So how do we obtain this new heart? How do we obtain this new heart that makes us right with God? Let's be very clear. Let's be very clear. I'm going to read for you Titus 3, 3-8. through This is what it says. You ready? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What does that sound like? That sounds like a heart that is expelling wickedness. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. How did He save us? 
Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because of clean living. But according to His own mercy, by the washing with a new life. Amazing. We're in Titus. We were just in Mark. It says the same thing. We need to be washed. It's almost like God wrote this whole book. And renewal of the Holy Spirit. Remember? I'm going to take that heart of stone out, put a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new spirit. How? New life by the renewal of the Holy Spirit that he, whom He poured out on us richly. How? Through Jesus Christ our Savior. How do we have this new heart? It's through Jesus. Why do we care so much about Jesus? Because He is our only hope. He's our only hope for a clean heart to be right with God. And he's our only hope and He will get it done. When He died on the cross, what was His last words? When He died on the cross, He knew that you would have a filthy heart and there'd be no way for you to be right with God. But in Jesus Christ, in His mercy and His grace, He willingly hung on the cross for you, taking the punishment for your sins, giving you credit for His perfect life so that God can replace your heart of stone with the heart of flesh and cleanse you through the Holy Spirit. What was His last words as He hung on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Well, I still sin, preacher. I still sin. What do I do now? What do I do now? Yeah, God in His grace, His mercy, and His wisdom did not make us perfect the moment we came to Christ. He didn't. His grace and His mercy, He didn't do that. To teach us something, to help us cling to the cross no matter what. I think so that we're not going to become a Christian and say, whew, I don't need the cross anymore. That's done now. I'm perfect. No, so our entire life here, we're going to be clinging to the cross. I still sin, preacher. What, what do I do? Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Preacher, I'm still a sinner. Yeah. But don't forget. Don't forget. You're not cleansed by your work, your actions. You're cleansed because you have faith in Jesus Christ. You won't, he won't let you lose it. He won't kick you out. Remember what Titus says? It is His work in you that produces obedience. That's Ezekiel. It's His work in you that produces obedience. And what does he say? He's beginning a work in you, Christian. He's given you a new heart. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's teaching you to obey. And one day, all of that will come together in perfection when you see Jesus face to face. Worship team, why don't you come back up? Are you still trying to earn something from God? Or have, you, have you found yourself in this system of trying to be clean, trying to live cleanly so that you'll be loved by God and accepted by God? Are you in that false religion? Or have you understood that you're like me, that you're a sinner? Have you understood that we are both lost with our filthy heart, 
Do you understand that Jesus died on the cross to take your punishment and give you credit for his perfect life and to cleanse you from your sin? And what we do, we join with the psalmist. Give me a new heart, O God. Have you stopped trying to follow the rules and you start following Jesus? If not, what is stopping you? 